Hello, thank you for coming back into the store. I want to show you some new items that came in this week. I'm so excited. You know, all of them are beautiful and very economically priced. Please come over here. These are stainless steel stackable rings. Are they not beautiful or what? You can get silver, you can get black, you can get plain bands, you can get bands with things and carvings and jewels on them. So beautiful. By the way, did you see the bulldog out front, the ceramic bulldog? He's so beautiful. The children love him. They come by, they pet his head. Everybody wants to take a picture. Come to Paris Green, 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon, or check us out on Facebook. It's the grooviest place in town. I would not lie to you because I am not a liar. See you soon. Bye-bye. I am Citizen 44. If you forget somebody's name and you don't want to be rude There's no need to fear, just call them dude If there's one thing that's the same at every latitude All around the world, everyone's a dude I'm a dude, you're a dude, everyone's a dude I'm a dude, you're a dude, everyone's a dude I'm a dude, you're a dude, everyone's a dude All around the world, everyone's a dude If your friends are in a fight and they won't give up their feud Just step right on in and say, hey, take it easy, dudes If we can't get along as dudes, then we are truly screwed Cause all around the world, everyone's a dude I'm a dude, you're a dude, everyone's a dude I'm a dude, you're a dude, everyone's a dude I'm a dude, you're a dude, everyone's a dude All around the world, everyone's a dude Black dudes, white dudes, everyone's a dude Girl dudes, boy dudes, everyone's a dude Gay dudes, straight dudes, everyone's a dude And everybody else is also a dude I'm a dude, you're a dude, everyone's a dude I'm a dude, you're a dude, everyone's a dude I'm a dude, you're a dude, everyone's a dude All around the world, everyone's a dude we are one dude We are one dude We are one dude We are one dude I could literally take a sound bite of a restaurant and we'd be in a restaurant talking right now. Exactly. As simple as that. Literally drop that shit in the back. We're at a table. You get in the reverb, you turn the, the room size up, and boom, you're there. That's right. I'm not saying I'm doing that. I'm just saying I could if I wanted to. <clears throat> you know what tomorrow is? Easter. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about what? What, what is tomorrow? What date? What, what is uh, April 1st? Ah. When's Jewish Easter? <clears throat> right now. Okay. They're all passing over. What's that bread called? Challah. Yeah. The braided bread. Right. Yeah, challah. Hamotzi lachemin haaretz. Is that the same bread that was on Seinfeld that he fished? No, that was a marble rye. Marble rye. Don't confuse the breads like that. They're both based on some kind of Judaic shit. But right. Yeah, the hal is the, that is a uh, ritually, religiously loafed bread. And the marble rye is like, you know, you can get that, you get both at a bakery, by the way. It's not like, you know, the other bread was slaughtered in a kosher way. Right. It's, it's bread. 
Mark. Hi, Mom. How are you, honey? I'm good. How are you today? I am fine, thank you. What are you doing? Well, well getting ready for the people to come in for the Seder. Oh, happy Pesach. Thank you. Are you going to the rabbi tonight? No. No. It's like 72 today. It's beautiful here. Unbelievable. I bet it's got to be 80 in L.A. I think it was. I've been in because I've been getting ready for tonight. Happy Passover, Passover, Passover. There is no Passover song, is there? Die, 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 What does that mean? I don't know. Zoe and I had real Thai food at Vim last night for dinner, for the first time. Oh. She got a, an unwelcome surprise. Oh, uh, yeah? We ordered mild, but Louie and his sister Pat, who worked there, Thai people, very sweet, tend to give me hot stuff. And I said mild. But I thought Zoe could handle a little bit of heat. Uh, no. We had to send it back. Oh, wow. I said, get some rice in you, drink your Thai iced tea, and then we got some new food. And her Did stuff- it have balls in it? What? Did the Thai iced tea have balls in it? No, there were no balls in it. You mean the tapioca balls? Yeah. No, it was straight up Thai iced tea. As a matter of fact, that's twice now in the last four days when I have inadvertently put dairy in me. What? Dairy. Oh, dairy. Hello, come in. Who's uh, there? Who's there? Who's coming? Yeah, it's Judy. Who's the, Judy, Judy, Judy. Rachel and Aaron are stuck on the freeway. There was like four lanes tied up from Pico or from Culver City. All those Jews in L.A., they're, okay. clogging, up, they're clogging the arteries of L.A. Yeah, anyhow, so I'm trying not to use Jerry, sort of. You're trying not to what? Use Jerry, sort of. What's dairy? So you're either I, kosher or you're not kosher. There's no, like, sort of kosher. No, 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 no. Oh, you because, mean for you? Yeah. Oh, that's so good, Mom. Are you cutting down? Yeah. It's called uh, soy-free veganaise. Oh, that stuff is so delicious. Did you taste it? It's delicious. It's, it's the best mayonnaise ever made, and there's no dairy in it. I know. Isn't that amazing? I, How do you make a filter fish? I take it out of the jar. Okay, I thought you made your own. That's not making it. Well, are you out of your mind? No, I thought you, you used to make it. No, that's how I made it. Oh, so you were lying all those years? I thought you were making no, your own? No, I did make it. I put olive oil in the frying pan, sauteed some onions, put a little bit of garlic. I didn't this time. And I browned the gefilte fish. And I put carrots in and I, celery. It's delicious. Now, Judy, who just left, she would throw up. Why? Next, she doesn't eat it. She hates it. Ah. She loves the chicken soup and the matzo balls. Yeah. It's the horseradish. I mean, I could eat it without the horseradish. I need the horseradish. Auntie Matilda used to make it from scratch. How do you make it from scratch? I don't know. You have to get fish and put it through the grinder. Oh. No! No! That's what it is? Yeah. Who else is coming? Judy and the kid that lives with her, Han. Han. And Tony and Alex and Julie. 
And Bobby is staying with Alex, so he's coming too, and that's fine. Ah, so awesome. There's 10 of us, and Rachel and Aaron. All right, well, tell everybody I said happy Pesach. I will, and too bad you can't come. It's a little far I to get there so quickly. I certainly have enough soup of matzo balls, 23 matzo balls. Mm. Did you make them? Hello? Uh, hello? Did you make the matzo balls? Yeah, I didn't buy them made. What's in matzo balls, matzo meal, and what else? I don't know. I have come what do you mean? to you don't, Mark. You don't know. You said you made them. Okay, bye. Hey, I love you. I love you. Bye. Bye. everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 37. My guest today on the show is Mark Reinfeld, rhymes with Seinfeld, a world-renowned, award-winning vegan chef, activist, teacher, all kinds of things helping us to save ourselves from ourselves. I had a great chat with him, got pretty deep, and uh, love him. He's an insta-brother. He's like a brother from another mother. And speaking of brothers from other mothers, last week I had a sister on from another mister, and that would be Brooke DeBoer. I didn't really like, you know, gush over her like I intended to do, but super cute, adorable, funny, smart, caring person, new friend. And uh, I was so lucky to get her on the show. She's so busy with uh, Fast Life, her uh, TV show, about her family, her husband Derek DeBoer, a uh, up-and-coming professional competitive race car driver, and her three girls, and all that it takes to do all the things of being a mom and a showrunner and a video recorder and a, a wife and stuff. So yeah, just a shout out to you, Mrs. DeBoer. And uh, let's see, what else is happening? We got through the fire. Uh, literally no more smell. It did linger on a little longer than I had anticipated, but no more smell. You heard a little bit about Zoe and I and our trip to uh, the Thai restaurant. And then uh, we actually went to Barnes and Noble and she got some new cards for Cards Against Humanity. She sort of explained the game to me. And then someone else told me it's pretty cruel, but you know, it's all subjective. It must be very funny. If Zoe likes it, it's funny. And then I picked up a copy of uh, Aldous Huxley's The Doors of Perception, which is actually how the band The Doors, Jim Morrison, how he came up with the name for his band The Doors through this book, uh, which is similar to Alan Watts' uh, Joyous Cosmology, which he wrote while experiencing LSD. Fabulous book. And this is, uh, this is his buddy Aldous's book, uh, Mescaline Style. So I'm reading that and I'm digging it. And uh, by the way, speaking of, I would have not known about the reference of uh, The Doors of Perception and The Doors unless I read this book, Wonderland Avenue. And what's that cat's name? Danny Sugarman. Danny Sugarman wrote, uh, Nobody Gets Out of Here Alive. And uh, Wonderland Avenue is a, a story, his true story. Pretty sure it's true. Pretty sure it's his life growing up and then finding the doors and the music changing his life, and then him ending up being their PR guy, and then becoming close to uh, Jim Morrison. 
and then that whole thing playing out and stuff. So there you go. There's some stuff there. And uh, I found out yesterday, I actually, I walked to the ER. You know, I've only been like really sick a couple of times and I have fun going through the motions of just thinking that I'm going to die. It's very Woody Allen, I think, maybe. It's not a neuroses either. It's, it's a letting go. And I go through this exercise. I've done it a couple times in the past, maybe six months or less. No, no, once before I left for Thailand this last time. And then again, like two nights ago. And uh, I was having this cramping pain in my stomach and I could feel like this soft, weird spot above my navel. And I started doing the uh, online examination, doctor heal thyself, find out stuff and see if you could figure it out. And it could have been many things. And uh, some of the things were more troublesome and some were less troublesome. But I decided to take it to the hilt and uh, go through the experience of letting go of my children and, and having to be good with that. And just, you know, a, a really fun, reasonable, stony exercise. Well, clearly I didn't die. But what I did discover was I did uh, diagnose my own third hernia. I now have an umbilical hernia just above the navel area. Bingo, I got that one. And then the other condition, which was the cramping and whatnot, I thought might be peritonitis or appendicitis, but I didn't have the belly button pain go over to the right side, which is where the appendicitis would be. Anyway, so I walked to the ER yesterday and uh, I got food poisoning. You know, I've been eating at home. I've fallen in love with brown rice. I never ate brown rice before. I've been doing the whole, you know, like uh, everybody's got their ethnic bread and thing, you know, tortillas and, and Asia has rice. They wrap everything in rice, around it, in it, through it. And so I became used to the whole white uh, rice as like the wonder bread of Asia. And there's nothing good about it. So I've totally wiped out. I was told to take white things out of my diet, except for vegan A's, of course. So that doesn't really apply. But uh, which my you heard my mother discovered, and it is better than best foods. And I will I will stake anything on it that you will like that better than anything. And by the way, this show is about uh, a lot of it's about food and veganism and Jewish culture and stuff. So uh, and I've been a vegan the past couple months. Again, I was a vegan several years ago for about a year and a half. I did the first six months raw. I dropped about 20 pounds. I was literally running down deceased Native American highway like a young whippersnapper dude with energy, which I'm starting to get back again, except this fucking hernia. I actually think I got it from doing push-ups. I was working my way up from five a day. I was up to doing 20 twice a day, 20 in the morning and then 20 before I go to bed. And that's when I noticed this tenderness above my uh, belly button area there. And that's how I determined that uh, I have this hernia. And I just did 20 this morning, it seems okay. You know, I can't get healthy if I don't do healthy things. So uh, that's what I'm working on, the vegan thing, and, and that's easy. Brown rice, love it, it's sweet. You know, a little bit of that spray, what is that, Bragg's uh, amino acids kind of soy sauce substitute thing, and some uh, sriracha, and you know, maybe not much else. It's quite good, 
And uh, you know, I'm living lean, man, on the cash side. So veganism, actually, everybody thinks it's really expensive to eat healthy. I disagree. I don't have to beg to disagree. I'm just gonna disagree. I'm, I'm not begging, I'm just gonna do it. I don't think it's true. If you know how to eat and you know how to shop, I think you can actually eat cheaper than buying processed food by buying whole food. And that's what I've been doing. So let's get on with the show. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Good, Mark. How you doing, brother? Good, thanks. Glad we connected. You know what they say, when the sun shines, make hay? In Ashland, when the sun shines, every musician in town comes out to the street to try and make money. And all this happens right outside my window. Oh, nice. (laughs) So we have a little music accompaniment uh, across the street with uh, Dobro, and uh, I think he's got a banjo and a harmonica. He's kind of a one-man band that plays almost every single day outside my apartment, and the same song all day. Oh, no. Uh, Bye-bye, American Pie. I wish it was that, because then I could sing along. I have no idea what he's playing. It's this riff thing you know, kind of a general riff that he knows. And just when I'm sick of it, he changes it up with uh, a Johnny Cash song. I think just to keep me from wanting to jump out my own window. Nice. Where are you, in Florida? We were in Florida. We're in uh, Colorado right now in a town called Lafayette in between Boulder and Denver. What are you guys doing there? Uh, We live here. (laughs) Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. We used to live in Florida, so we were back there. I did a course, and also my my great aunt turned 100, and so we had a party for her in Boca. Part work, part holiday. Wow, 100. Is she a vegan? Uh, No, she's uh, she's on the gefilte fish diet. What is gefilte fish anyway, really? Uh, Various body parts of... uh, unusable fish that was uh, rejected from other uh, uses. I think they just mush it up all together and put some kind of a mysterious jelly coating on it, and uh, that's how it's served. And why do we eat it? What is the point? I mean, I like it. You know, if you smother enough horseradish on anything, I think I can down it. But uh, my mother even <laughs> used to make a filter fish, and I never asked her how, just because I know that it, whatever it was we were eating out of that Manischewitz jar I think they pulled the wool over our eyes. I, they're just getting rid of garbage, aren't they? <laughs> Probably. That, that's my guess. So I had a very nice experience this morning. I think you'll appreciate. I went to meet a friend for coffee, and I always ask, what do you have that's vegan? And by the way, I've only been vegan again for the past, you know, couple of months. And, uh, nice. And right in front of me, they had these two rows of absolutely delightful-looking donuts that were vegan. So... That's what I had. I had this great coffee with uh, with a vegan donut. Sweet. Yeah, Lit- pretty much everything at this point could be veganized. My opinion is we're at this kind of interesting threshold of people changing certain behavior patterns. I mean, you see it in everything that we're doing. I mean, literally, the whole world is kind of in this uproar, and I think our nutritional habits and how we put things into our body is in some kind of transition. Do you agree? Oh, totally, yeah. I became vegetarian in 1990 and vegan shortly after that. So I've been in this uh, in this world for quite a while, and uh, I'm still in awe of how, how much it's taking on and 
just how easy it is now more than ever to embrace the lifestyle. Yeah, I think there's less pushback too. You know, I think the joke is if you want to know if somebody's vegan, just ask them and they'll tell you. Oh, right. Something like, yeah, you don't have to ask them because they'll tell you or something. Like yeah, that. exactly. I think there's some kind of almost like a pompous perception of what a vegan is. I, I think there's less people making a joke about it now and feeling threatened by it as if we're doing something wrong, which is really, that's the funny part to me is the vegans are looked at like they're the weird ones doing something odd when in fact the rest of the world that is mutilating life sources and eating their yeah. flesh and being very unhealthy just from a, uh, just a nutritional standpoint, uh, are the crazy ones and, and the vegans are the actual sane ones. And I think that, that maybe that's part of the perception that's beginning to change, hopefully. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to look at it. You know, if you ask people why they become vegan, usually it fits into one of three general categories, uh, which I liken to uh, three different doors and they all go into the same room. And so one of the doors is health or medical reasons. One is environmental or sustainability, and one is ethical or concerns for animal welfare. And regardless of what got you initially into the room, once you start learning about these other reasons, you can embrace them as your own. And each of those doors have a different charge to it. People ask why you're vegan, and you say for health reasons. Usually they'll, they'll be pretty open and listen. If you say environmental reasons, then they may be a little more curious and kind of maybe an eyebrow will raise, but when you say it's for uh, concerns for animal welfare, that's usually when uh, when things start to get a little wild, because that's usually the most charged. That's so strange to me. I mean, I'm doing it for all three reasons, but I'm just saying, what is the threat? I guess, you know, if you think about it, if you pose this to somebody, the only reason we eat meat is because it tastes good. Really. I mean, it's really, that, it's yeah. a preference issue. It's that's nothing more than than literal taste, nothing even reasonable I, around I, it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, ha I have to agree with you. That's my, my feeling on it. But see, to me, this is where the whole thing is overcomable. If it's that simple, if it's just about, I need something that tastes like that because we are a species mm -hmm. that is now conditioned around that kind of intake, I see that science right. is getting that. And this whole idea of creating yeah. meat in a lab or the like beyond yeah. meat products that I think it's Leonardo DiCaprio who's uh, financially fronting this mm -hmm. company. And I've yeah. eaten, as we both know, our common uh, bond here is Rich Reese, who is, uh, right. aside from you, the most hardcore vegan I know, which I love. And I love hanging out with him and, and feeling his energy <laughs> around it. And uh, he's yeah. made me these beyond burgers, burger things that frankly are as good yeah. as any burger made in this town here. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. If it is a taste thing, the the vegan, I call them transition products because they're in themselves, they're not like super healthy, but they can help you make a transition towards more of a healthy plant-based lifestyle. And so pretty much like I mentioned earlier, anything could be veganized at this point. And there, the food science behind it has come so far that like even trained, uh, like Mark Bittman, who is a you know cookbook author and chef, and he was unable to tell the difference in like a blind taste test between like the I think it was the Beyond Meat uh, chicken version, and so 
it's come so far that we really don't have to compromise on flavor or texture. And especially like, you know, if you're doing a barbecue and you have the, either those burgers, they actually have a new Beyond Sausage that I tried that's really good. And once you load it up with the fixings that you're used to, like the relish and sauerkraut mustard or for the burgers, whatever you'd put on your burger, you really get that, that satiated feeling, the same feeling that you'd get from eating like a, an animal-based product. Yeah, and the thing that Rich makes, he uses gluten-free buns. He's got some kind of, you know, fake cheese and then the uh, Beyond Burger with uh, onions and all that stuff. And the thing, honestly, it feels like it weighs about five pounds. It's this super dense, really satisfying, yeah. beautiful meal. And all we have to do is give it to people and show them a picture of what a slaughterhouse, show them a little video. Maybe they should be eating it yeah. while they watch the video. And so they can know you're not part of that. What you're doing right now is not relevant to the disgusting business that's going on all over the world, totally yeah. unnecessarily. And people, I think, yeah. can feel good yeah. about themselves if they start getting into these practices. It's almost like a spiritual practice. If you're not putting this kind of energy into your body, I wonder how yeah. literally the health and welfare of the entire human species may shift just on that notion alone. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you're you're speaking my language, Mark. I definitely we're you're uh, we're in the same choir with that. I think that uh, when you pull back and look, because uh, I've written several cookbooks in the last two or on. Uh, the health aspects of a plant-based lifestyle. And I, I personally, I feel a plant-based lifestyle is the optimal uh, diet for us to maintain health. And and at the same time, I really don't get into arguments with people about what's the healthier diet. I think you could really go back and forth till the end of time. And I think you can, you know, be healthy and live a long life and still have some animal products in your diet. It's when you talk about the other issues, especially like the sustainability factor. And if you look at the amount of resources that a animal-based diet requires compared to a plant-based one in terms of water usage, land usage, energy use, pollution, pretty much any variable that you would choose to look at, the plant-based lifestyle is clearly the most sustainable way that we can uh, feed humanity. And then when you look at the conditions on factory farms, that, that, which is the direction that modern, you know, animal agriculture is taking, and the conditions are so really hardcore. Like if anyone saw them firsthand, it would it would definitely make them question, you know, is there another way? And so uh, this is the other way. And for me, it, I like to just see this as a way that we can really restore a level of uh, harmony and balance to our life here on Earth. There's so many levels, human health, the environment, uh, just bringing that energy of more of a peaceful and compassionate way of feeding ourselves into the world. So it's a triple win as, as far as I'm concerned. When my daughter was in middle school, we took a trip to the water treatment plant. I, I used to volunteer at the middle school, so I went on a lot of the field trips. And my daughter was sitting behind me with one of her little friends. And I turned to them and asked, what other animal besides us drinks the milk? of another animal and does it make any relative sense whatsoever in the design of the scheme of the universe and the living creatures in it that we would be swapping this kind of thing and is it healthy at all 
for us to be consuming something that was never intended for our lips ever. Right. And, and yeah. at first, I think she was a little bamboozled by the thing because uh-huh. this is pure logic. I mean, you can lead people to logic, but you can't make them think. I had a similar experience where I was in a health food store with a friend and uh, her granddaughter was there and we got to the meat section and it came up that I didn't eat meat. And she said, why? And I said, because I love animals. And she looked at me, her eyes got like really wide and she was totally bewildered. And she said like, meat comes from animals? Like she never... She never equated we that? Don't teach kids that that's, that's where it comes from. And, you know, it took me 20 years to figure that out. I, I think you just hit on something and you hit on something that changes everything. And it's fundamentally why we are struggling and suffering so much. And that is that educational component. If you know from mm. the get go, then you know from the get go. If you are not instructed right. on what you are, who you are, how you operate, the avoidables in life, the unavoidables in life, and all those things, which are none of the things that are taught in school, that child would have known immediately what you were talking about and never would have even considered eating animals because all children love animals. And they do not equate, they do not see that equal sign between going to the petting zoo and feeding a goat versus whatever their mom and dad put on the table, which is the same goat that they fed an hour ago. We need to fill in that educational blank so they understand the social responsibility that they have, that they understand that the little living beings, the little furry us version that they love is the same thing that their own family is putting on the table. Yeah, it's deep, you know, because most people don't make changes overnight. We could philosophize on why, why that takes place. It's just uh, when you look at, like you mentioned earlier, just the sense of traditions and family and what we grew up on and our, you know, the sense of comfort and home surrounding the meals that we had and the rituals that are part of, you know, various cultures. Some people will see a video and then they're like, that's it, I'm over it. I mean, in my experience over the years, most people switch because of health reasons and the people that switch dramatically are the ones that have gotten the the 911 from the doctor, like, you need to change your diet or this is, you know, you're, you're on borrowed time at this point. So, you know, it's still a mystery to me what it is that makes some people change more quickly than others. I'll tell you what would help. You know, it's about being willing to sacrifice. And in America, mm. we don't make sacrifices here. Uh, we'd rather sacrifice our freedom out of fear than sacrifice the consuming of something for the greater good. Yeah. Again, we are totally undereducated and completely immature. And those things are synonymous. They're not mutually exclusive. I know if people knew better and most people don't, they could do better. So if you don't know better, you can't do better. And I think that's where compassion comes in. We need people like you because you are a convincer and uh, your convincing Mm. mechanism is based purely on your experience and your willingness to teach and show people another Mm. way, which is the most important way. Look at all the futuristic movies. We're all vegans wearing pretty much a jumpsuit. There has been the competition element of life kind of removed from us so we can all kind Mm. of coexist reasonably. And as long as there's Mm. competition 
and uh, monetary gain necessary yeah. and uh, yeah. winners and losers, the animals will mm-hmm. always be the losers for sure. I feel like the kind of chaos and the energy that we are experiencing in the world around us is directly related to how we treat the innocent and vulnerable on the planet and uh, the animals, they can't speak for themselves. So the idea of bringing compassion and nonviolence into the world has become a strong motivating factor for me. And just like Bob Marley or Gandhi or Martin Luther King, the message of nonviolence as what will bring healing to our world, I think, rings true uh, with our food choices, and we have multiple times a day where we could make that choice. Like uh, Martin Luther King said, nonviolence is the answer to all the the critical moral and uh, political challenges that we're facing. And so I, I think that applies really strongly with our food choices. And by bringing that compassion and nonviolence into the world, like that's the energy we're putting out in the world. And I think the law of the universe is the more of that that you put out, the more that will come back. Yeah, I totally agree. I remember visiting my cousin. My cousin uh, was on the House floor, Henry Waxman, very powerful man on Capitol Hill. And I went to visit him uh, one time, and, and we sat in the commissary in the Capitol. I said, what's it going to take to stop war? And he said, you're going to have to teach people that violence is not the answer. And when you have right. generation after generation of victimization, and if we're willing to blow yeah. up little kids in Syria, little baby girls— and boys, yeah. why shouldn't yeah. we fucking mutilate animals? We kill our own people. How are we not going to kill animals if we're willing to kill each other pretty shamelessly? Yeah, and actually, I think, well, which comes first? We have the taste of blood in our mouth through the slaughter of animals. I feel we desensitize ourselves to violence. So, like, I love seeing the people marching about gun violence and domestic violence and any, you know, form of violence. I like the root going to the root of it. Like, why are we bringing violence into the world and what areas of our life are we bringing that violence in? And it's very intertwined, the human against human violence and human against animals. Yeah, they're, they're all interconnected, I think. Well, I think you just said something interesting. And this is, again, I'm always going to go back to education. It is the fundamental responsibility of us to educate each other so we can make better decisions. And if we don't have the information, we cannot make good decisions. So even my friend who's the principal at the middle school here is so frustrated now that he feels there is no support for public education. And he is now a behavior Mm. monitor. He's not teaching children anything. And under the the current administration, there is this rampant uh, judgment going across where children feel very open to be apolitical and fearless in their judgment of their fellow students. And it's really, honestly, I think it's maybe the greatest thing that's ever happened because, you know, I equate it to like Crater Lake here, which is a spectacular, beautiful, natural occurrence Mm -hmm. that came out of an explosive, violent occurrence. And I think we are similarly doing the same thing. We are going to erupt. We are going to implode in some way. And you can see the escalation of our own demise right before our eyes by us, not by anybody. Nothing. Nobody's doing anything to us. This is all us on us. And I think all the things that are occurring systematically are putting us in a position 
to make some significant uh, changes. So yeah, it probably hasn't gotten ugly enough yet for us to be scared enough or humbled enough mm. to appreciate each mm. other mutually to start making different decisions about uh, how we, first of all, learning about self-love. Because if you don't know what self-love yeah. is, how can you have any concept of how that applies to anybody else. And fundamentally, we're lonely and sick and sad. And so if you're lonely, sick, and sad, a burger's going to make you fucking feel good, to be honest with you. And you're not considering how that burger got from that beautiful little package in the store that looks perfectly harmless, that shows no remnants of how that thing got into that thing that gets into your stove that doesn't show how it got there. There's no evidence. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty deep stuff, Mark. Well, that's okay, because these are the dialectic arguments that I'm teaching my children to have. Well, in mythology, uh, it's like the hero's journey. You're, you're probably familiar with, like, Joseph Campbell and the whole idea of, like, hero's journey and the idea that when we conquer these dragons, that the power of that comes to us. So, like... The greater the challenge, the greater the reward that we have when we're able to assimilate that challenge. And so I think that kind of was what you were saying with the the beauty coming from the destruction. So I'm an optimist, or I like maintaining as much of a positive attitude as I can. And I think that that's important. Like to I like to say, like, emanate the solution so that you were aware of the world. Uh, in which we find ourselves, and at the same time, just being, it's a little cliche, but like what Gandhi said about being the change that you want to see in the world, and I think that's one, you know, whatever within our circle of influence where we can emanate that is how that shift will occur. Well, we need to make it not a cliche, it needs to be a motto, it needs to be a mantra, it needs to be <laughs> something that children learn from the absolute very beginning of their time so they can be reinforced and nurtured to what they already know and have not been destroyed mm. in their hearts and yeah. start raising high-quality human beings. And those high-quality human yep. beings will create new high-quality human beings, and this is the evolutionary track. You just need to start with right. a core group. You need to have 10% passion, and then you can shift the rest of the world. So we only need 10% of the whole world to decide that the other 90% are worth saving. Right, right. Wow. We're getting there, man. Well, that's what it is. It's totally a referral business. And I'm not an optimist, but I have labeled myself not unlike uh, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. I am a hopefulist. I don't have any faith in us because we are pieces of shit. But we have (laughs) the potential to not be pieces Mm -hmm. of shit. And that's all the hope I have is I know that we can do things so much better once we make a decision to do so and all this confusion and fear and discomfort that we're having now is uh, I think definitely the road to recovery we're like drug addicts you got to hit rock bottom before you can start seeking recovery right right I think we're close Mark where did your where did your life begin I was born in uh, New York City in the late 60s and then uh, I grew up pretty much like standard American lifestyle and went to uh, college. And uh, I actually took uh, my junior year, I traveled. I went to the London School of Economics and I traveled 
through uh, a lot of European countries. I was the, the typical American traveler. I would hit like Lisbon on Tuesday, Madrid on Wednesday, Rome on Thursday. I was kind of like a madman. And then uh, after I graduated college, I had applied to law school and I uh, deferred admission. I loved traveling so much. So I took a year off and I worked as an au pair in Paris and hitchhiked from Amsterdam to Berlin and was there when the Berlin Wall opened up, uh, went down through, was in Prague, Czechoslovakia when the revolution was occurring there, and then uh, was on a kibbutz in Israel, and that, that's when I became vegetarian during that, that trip, and then uh, was in a Bedouin village in the Sinai, and then was out and uh, went to India and Nepal and was up in the, the Himalayas there and just did the Everest track and was just connecting more with nature and animals and kind of the mystical qualities. And uh, I did go to law school for a semester, decided that wasn't my path, and then moved out to California, and that's how I started my uh, culinary career. What did your dad do when you were growing up? My dad was uh, in the insurance business at the time. So when I, uh, when I made that choice to leave law school and I didn't have a plan B, pretty challenging on my parents at that time, but eventually they, they came around. I think traveling in uh, my junior year and then again after that really solidified this idea of connecting with what brings you joy and the sense of following your dreams. And my motto would probably be carpe diem to just seize the day. And so uh, that's, that's been a guiding principle. So eventually they came around and saw you know, that I was uh, pursuing my my purpose and mission. So uh, it took a while, but they, they came around. Nice. And how did you do as a very young person? How'd you do in school? Uh, I did pretty well in school. I was uh, like in college, I was like Phi Beta Kappa and then, you know, Summa Cum Laude. So I, was, I adapted well to the, especially the college uh, scene. How'd you do in earlier school? Like, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school? Uh, I'd have to go through my mom's uh, basement to see my old report cards, but from what I remember, I think I was doing, you know, average or above average. How do you do socially? Socially, uh, I'd say elementary school was a rewarding experience. I had uh, some betrayals in junior high school that made it a little challenging, and then uh, college picked back up where, especially traveling, you know, just the international travel, I felt like I found my place in the world. So that those were my people. So I started feeling more, you know, connected to like a social uh, group. You know, like the Native Americans, they, they would send out uh, a child for like six months and go on like a walkabout, a quest, mm. travel. It really uh, should be a mandatory thing to just start erasing some of these man-made boundaries around the world and kids should just be going everywhere checking out what's happening in the world so they don't have this one-sided tunnel vision about america yeah that's uh i put it in the life-saving category to, to see there was a, a world outside you know just you know just seeing america from the outside and just seeing it as one place among many and one uh way of looking at things among many you know especially going to india uh you realize how different people's experience can be in the, in the world. Right. How do you think we are impacted getting back to veganism? I mean, you're Jewish, right? Yes. Okay. Are, are you a practicing Jewish person? 
Uh, no, I don't consider myself practicing. I, I've written a couple of articles. It's called uh, Vegan is the New Kosher. I did have a bar mitzvah and grew up in a Jewish household and uh, just came to see, like, if the aim of it was to be compassionate. Like, that's what a rabbi would say is that the laws of kashrut are one of the main reasons is so that there's, like, the animals are treated with respect. And uh, to me, just the evolution of kashrut is not eating the animals. How can you mix the word respect with cutting their throats? Yes. Did you grow up Jewish? Oh, yeah. I went a step beyond bar mitzvah. I was confirmed, whatever that means. <laughs> Which means I was fucking stuck in Hebrew school for another year is what that meant. I th Or no, actually, maybe it was two years. And all I remember is I'm pretty sure at that confirmation ceremony, uh, we were singing, we only just begun by the carpenters. <laughs> It feels embarrassing at this moment, and I'm sure it was at the time. I, but I don't even recall what the additional uh, information or education was that I received. I actually went to Hebrew high school also for, it was that, it was like once a week, but uh, I went, I think, one or two years of Hebrew high school. I think someone needs to write a movie called Hebrew High. There is a movie called uh, Super High Me. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, Doug Benson? No, no. Doug Benson is a notorious super stoner, very funny comedian. And when I first heard about this movie, again, the name of the movie is Super Jaime. I thought it was about a Jewish superhero. Oh, that's funny. As in Jaime? Spy, not, not spy. No, it's Super Jaime. You know, remember it was a slang word to call a Jew like a Jaime? Oh, Jaime. Oh, right, right, right. I thought you meant like instead of super size me, it was like super Jaime and he yes. went to all the like dispensaries. No, it was Super Jaime, H-I-G-H-M-E, and what it was, it was an experiment. He went 30 days consuming mass quantities of weed through vaporizing. Whenever he was awake, he was getting high, whether it was on stage, whatever it was, he was even getting high on stage. And then the flip of the experiment was he spent 30 days without weed, and now, I don't know what the realism was, but he went to a doctor in the very beginning before he was consuming for 30 days straight. And, you know, he checked his lung capacity and uh, uh, all kinds of brain activity and things. And then, and he had a miserable time the second 30 days with no weed. And they actually determined he was much better off high. Really? Wow. Interesting. Yeah. His cognitive activity, his reasonability, his behavior... And they said that uh, the, the consuming of, of cannabis, it was minimal compromising of his lungs, which was really the only concern. And all of his other wow. abilities were increased by leveraging cannabis and decreased without the cannabis, which I think is actually coming to bear that THC yeah. and CBD and all these other things that have been medicine put on the earth for us since the beginning of time are just now yeah. starting to be discovered and uh, leveraged for our uh, mutual benefit. Yeah. Amen, brother. Yeah. Okay, so you're a Jewish kid from New York. You made good. Are your parents still around? Uh, my mom is. Where's she living? She's here in the Boulder area. That was one of the reasons we moved. We were living in Miami Beach, so we moved back here. Uh, we moved here to have some more family support. My theory is it takes three adults per child so yeah. we needed uh 
we need it somehow. That's pretty fascinating because I am not married anymore. I live by myself in a very small hotel room looking thing. And, and my children's mother, my former spouse, uh, thankfully houses my two children who are both adopted and my son's birth mother lives with them. So you just articulated uh, the equation that we actually work under, which is three adults uh, per child. And it seems to help. You're right. It takes a, a small village, man. Yeah, totally. Wow, that's awesome. Well, people ask us, because we're raising him vegan, like how long we're going to uh, raise him vegan. And so I say that uh, until he's old enough to decide for himself, like yeah. uh, 22 or 23 years old. Hey, I know someone in this town. I've never met anybody before, but I met this guy, Nick, who works at the coffee shop Mix. He has never eaten meat before. And I don't wow. I don't know. I'm trying to get him on the show, really. I'd love to get him on the show with you. That would be the perfect show uh, because I think it would be interesting to get the viewpoint and perspective of somebody. Yeah. And what's even crazier is there is a burger joint associated with the coffee shop, and he works at the burger place. Wow. That, yes, that takes something, you know. I don't know if Rich told you, but I have a couple of events coming up in your area. I'm doing a five-day training in Medford in uh, May, and then uh, I think it's May 7th, I believe. And then uh, I have a three-day training and then a teacher training that I do in Portland right after that, I think uh, May 18th. So... I know where your listener base is from, but if anyone's interested in honing their cooking skills, uh, I love showing people how easy it is to create vegan foods. And similar to the topics you talked about, like for me, I look at it as like a form of activism where you're showing people how to prepare food, but it's more than that because you're also helping them take their health back into their own hands and it also helps create a more uh, peaceful and sustainable world. So I love showing people how easy it is to prepare the food, and I have uh, online classes, and uh, Rich and I are working on some events in Ashland as well, so if people want to get in touch, they could just check out veganfusion.com and contact me there, but we're, I love uh, your part of the world, so we're, we'll be there in, uh, in May. Awesome. I'm, I'm really looking forward to meeting you, Mark, and uh, I appreciate uh, the work that you've taken on and, and spearheading this incredible development for human beings. I, I, once we realize what we get when we change our minds, we're going to be pleasantly surprised what the results of, of changing our minds will bring to us. Awesome, man. Well, Mark, this has been great. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you. <laughs> be well, brother. All right, Take you care. too. Take care. that's the show hope you enjoyed it uh, i want to say thank you to uh, mark reinfeld it was great to meet him and i look forward to him coming to southern oregon and uh, teaching us how to cook good food for ourselves i want to thank rich reese for coming on over and doing what he does when we do those things that we do in the condition that we do them in i want to thank my mother for playing along as always appreciate it mom i want to wish everybody a happy uh pass Sunday stir, Sunday stir, uh, whatever from before, which it is not now. 
I said I wasn't going to have a show out till uh, 4-4, but uh, I said that on April Fool's Day, so woohoo, I really pulled a fast one on you guys. Okay, uh, if you want to find out more about uh, Mark Reinfeld, just Google him, R-E-I-N-F-E-L-D. Just do that. And then uh, if you want to check out the DeBoer family on their show, Fast Life, you can check them out on Amazon Prime or go to fastlife.tv. Thank you so much for listening, and I appreciate your support as always. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. Please visit ahrensberg.com under podcasts and show your support today. Some of you may have been wondering what happened to Citizen44.com. Well, that site is no longer up for the time being. Please check out Aaronsburg.com for all new shows and for all archive shows. You can go to CastBox or you can go to Stitchers or you can go to iTunes or... Yeah, that's it. Today's music was provided by prolific singer-songwriter, Tai Chi master, friend and all-around great dude, Gene Burnett. You can find more of his music and things that Gene does at geneburnett.com. This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. Visit them online at Facebook. This Friday, April 6th, Sean Mark Dipper's band Effigy will be at Rogue Coworks right here in Ashland. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44. Some of them were trees, some of them were gentle, 
some of them were not So color me grateful for everything I've Everybody's wealthy, everybody's poor Everybody's ceiling is somebody else's floor But everybody's broke when they hit the final wall So color me grateful to be anywhere at all There's still a lot of beauty left around here Still a lot of chances to let go of my fear Still a lot of love to let into my heart So color me grateful every time I start Trouble's always waiting Its arms are open wide Getting in is easy Getting out to fight God may bring the darkness But the devil brings the light So color me grateful Just to be Just to be alive 
grateful just to be alive. Color me grateful just to be alive. Hmm, I like that.